This morning's reading comes from Hebrews chapter 2, and it can be found on page 1202-1202 in the Church Bibles in front of you. <clears throat> and I'm starting at verse 5. <clears throat> it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect, through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thank you, Steve. I wonder if you uh, remember this from, uh, from last week. See if it will stand up. Stephen's little uh, protractor, just about. Um, where Stephen was helping us to, to be saying we need to, to keep fixed upon Jesus. Uh, having our, our eyes uh, focused upon him, not, not drifting either side, uh, but going on uh, and going down uh, the way of him and following him uh, day after day. Well, well uh, as we continue on in chapter 2... Uh, we continue that message. Uh, but to help us just to, to get into this and what uh, slightly the big idea is, uh, I, I came across a movie quite a long time ago, which I think kind of helped a lot to kind of show the two sides of, of what was going on. Uh, and it was this one, Legally Blonde. <laughs> You're like, what is he doing? 
Um, I, I'm just going to assume you all know what happened. No, um, so, so the story of Legally Blonde is very simple. That there's a, a sort of party sorority girl uh, who ends up going to, to law college and becoming kind of a student lawyer. Uh, she ends up uh, as a student sort of lawyer on a, a murder case uh, for another party sorority girl. And to cut a long story short, she ends up being the lead lawyer. And because she fully understands kind of the, the, the world that the, the kind of the, the defendant lives in, and because she understands the law, uh, she's actually able to, to, to show or prove uh, why she's innocent. That sounds very boring, but it's a wonderful movie. <laughs> but but why, why have I talked about Legally Blonde? Well, in a very poor way, and we'll see why it's a poor way, actually Jesus stands in two worlds. And because he stands in two worlds, he is able to speak perfectly for us, even more so than Elle can in Legally Blonde. So let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that it's good. Uh, And Lord, we pray this morning as we look at this passage in Hebrews that you may help us to see Jesus. And not simply to see him and know what the passage is about, but to know how good he is and to know his love for us. Amen. Um, Before we uh, dive into this passage, we we just need to take a step back and just to ask ourselves a question about sort of what's kind of our view of humanity? And by that, what I mean is, um, where's our kind of fundamental line about do we think we're good or bad? Or, or, or actually, in this case, uh, do we think that humanity often is like a, a demigod, that humans are those who kind of are the, the final authority, the one that we bow down to, the one that we make every effort to, to make sure we, we follow? Um, or um, are they just sort of dust and ashes, just worth nothing? And often as a culture, we, we can fall into both of those two extremes. Uh, we can either kind of bow down and say, you know, whatever we think goes, this is the, the most important thing. But also, on the other hand, we, we can also just sort of just think, oh, it doesn't matter. We're, you know, we're nothing. We're not there. Uh, whereas when we come to the Bible, actually God's view is different. Uh, verse uh, 7 And eight, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? A son of man man that you care for him, verse seven, you made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Humanity is is a created being. It is under the creation, under the angels, if you will. They've been made lower than the angels. Humanity in and of itself is not deserving of praise. They're simply a created being. But on the other hand, verse 5, it is not to the angels that he's subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. It's not to the angels that he's laid his love upon. It's not to the angels that he sort of said, well, you, you're the one who are going to inherit all things. It's to humanity. In fact, more than that, verse 8, he's put everything under their feet. The there is humanity. 
See, we've been made lower than the angels. That's our place. But at the same time, we're given value and worth because the Lord has put his love upon us and called us to be co-heirs. No wonder that we get this sort of quote from Psalm 8. And right before it, we have Psalm, this is Psalm 8, verse 4. Psalm 8, verse 3 comes. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which are set, have been set in place, when I think about everything that the Lord has done, and then verse 4, who is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You're everything, we're nothing, but yet you care. See, in a few lines, we, we see the, the, the breadth of, of humanity and, and the way that the Lord holds both of those. And in fact, he calls uh, humanity to be uh, rulers. When we hear rulers, often we think kind of uh, oppressed, you know, lorded over. That's not the way the Bible thinks of rulers. The Bible thinks of rulers as those who serve, uh, those uh, who care, those who love, those who, who put themselves at the bottom. But of course, that's where it's all gone wrong. We've sort of flipped it on its head. We rule in our way. We decide that actually that we do want to be first, that we do want to to lord it over people. And of course, actually, when we look way back to the Garden of Eden, what we see there is that a, a being who has made learn the angels but was set to rule over all things listens to an angel, the devil. The the humanity subjects itself, puts itself underneath an angel, which it shouldn't do. It's a complete reversal of the order. So the problem that we find ourselves in is that we have this humanity that We've been made, learn the angels, but given the, the promise of being a ruler, but, but we've not done our job, we've turned our back, so we've fallen out of that relationship with God. So how are we going to get back? How are we going to get back? Verse 9. But we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus became a man. He became lower than the angels. Now, often when, uh, today when we have conversations with people about Jesus, it's usually around the question of, you know, is Jesus God or not? That's kind of the big question I always have conversations with people about. Is he God? But here, in the author of Hebrews' mind, the question is not Jesus' divinity, it's his humanity. Uh, there was a whole group of people uh, called Gnostics who basically said, well, Jesus was, was just God. You know, he kind of he walked on the earth, but he wasn't really human. Whereas the author is, is absolutely clear. He said, no, Jesus was made lower than the angels. He was really born. It's Christmas soon. He really came to this world. He became a baby. Uh, He really died on the cross. 
It's all those words that we say in the creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. When we say the creed, we're saying he was a man. So that's to say that Jesus is like you. Jesus is a human. He really was a man. He really does have a foot firmly planted in humanity. But also, Jesus is not like you. Because he also has his foot firmly planted in divinity. He is divine. He's the one who was in heaven, descended, to be made lower than the angels. Why? So that he could be the perfect saviour. So that, verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom and whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation. Perfect through what he suffered. That through Jesus, he, he brings people to himself. And then verse 11 is just staggering. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, that they're of the same family. You and I, if we're trusting Jesus, are the same family as Jesus. Theologically, uh, this is called union with Christ, to be united to him, bound to him. Uh, And in simple terms, it means that what happens to Jesus uh, happens to you. But perhaps uh, this might help. Um, As many of you know, I'm from Guernsey. That's the bottom island there. Not the bottom, that's Jersey. Ignore that one. Um, uh, And to get from Guernsey to the mainland, to England, you've basically got two options. Um, You could swim... And people do swim the channel, uh, but they swim at that bit up there, that little bit. You know, to swim from there, you've got to do that. I mean, you're just not going to do it. So the way that you do it is that you have to get in a a boat or a plane. And when you get in the plane, it's not like you fly literally to the mainland. No, you get in the plane and the plane goes. But where the plane goes, you go. Or to put it even, I suppose, a bigger example, you want to go to America, there's no way you can swim across the Atlantic. But you get in the plane, the plane takes you there, the plane goes, so you go. The same is true of Jesus. We go where he goes. We're united to him. So what happens? Verse 9. He died our death. But we do see Jesus has made learn the angels for a little while, now crowned of glory and honor, because he suffered death, so by the grace of God, he might taste the death for everyone. The death that we deserve because of the way that we've treated God, we've turned our back upon him, Jesus died for each one of us. He died our death. Because we're united to him, he died our death. But then secondly, we're given his glory. Verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, 
sons and daughters to glory. The glory that he deserved, the glory he had in heaven, which he, when he came to earth, he then gives to his brothers and sisters. He died our death. He gives us his glory. And then thirdly, his record is ours. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom and whom everything existed should make the pioneer of their salvation through what he suffered. He gives us his holiness. Verse 11. The ones who people who have pooped here, the one who makes people holy, those who are made holy of the same family. And by holiness, we mean he gives us his record. So when Jesus looks at you, he sees his own record. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Sometimes we use a word um, justification for that. And sometimes it's said that justification means um, just as if I'd never sinned. But a better way is to say, just as if I'd lived Jesus' life. That actually you're not simply, uh, you know, you simply haven't not done anything wrong. You've also positively done everything right. You've been given his record because you're united to him. Jesus restores what was meant to be. So this is why my opening illustration of Legally Blonde is useless. Yes, it kind of gets to the heart of somebody sitting in two camps. But all that's doing there is somebody who knows a bit of stuff and knows a bit of stuff helps somebody else to get free. In the gospel, we've got someone who is literally fully man, who is literally divine, and doesn't help somebody to get free. They take the punishment for that person. They're both their advocate and the one who goes to prison. In Jesus, we have one who helps us return because he is our perfect saviour. Just ponder that again. Because of Jesus, who steps into our world, steps into our humanity with his full divinity, who took on, verse 14, flesh and blood, we can return and be made right. And what did he do? Well, verse 14. He broke the power of death. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared the humanity so that by his death, he may break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by, fit by their fear of death. When he came, Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. And what he means there is not to say that the devil is the one who has the, the power, as we understand it, of life and death, but rather the devil is the one who, who reminds you, who tells you, who, who points you, saying, you are not worthy, you are not good, who points us down to this path of death. Whereas when Jesus came, he broke that power. He said, actually, death has no hold on you. Now, we know that, that death is hard, is terrible, is sad. 
There's a reason that when we have our, our service in two weeks' time, we, that actually it's a really, we recognize it's a really hard moment. And it is. And as a, a culture, we, we try to suppress our, our view of death. There's an author, Matthew McCullough, uh, who said, we suppress death because it is the unanswerable challenge to our happiness. But we need to be honest about death. We need to be honest and say, it is horrible. It is rubbish. But actually, as we, we recognize that, we don't hide away from it. We also shine the light of Christ into it to say that actually there is hope, that it is defeated, that it has no power, so that, again, verse 15, we won't be held slavery by its fear. A Christian funeral is one where we can shed tears of sadness and joy at the same time. Because Christ has conquered death. But secondly, God's anger has been removed. Verse 17. For this reason, he hath he made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That word atonement, uh, uh, sort of at one is that he fully dealt with God's anger, God's wrath. Another word that we sometimes use and that we'll hear later on in communion is propitiation, uh, a taking away of God's wrath. And what it means basically is, is that Jesus uh, took the cup of God's wrath and drunk it so that there's nothing left. you're not going to come to God and go, there's a little bit of left of of, of anger at me. No, it's all done. He's a faithful high priest who, who stood in for us, who's fully man, fully God, who atoned for our sins so that God's anger is done. Because it fully went on him. Jesus is our perfect saviour. But more than that, more than that, verse 18. Jesus knows how you're feeling. Verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, Jesus is the first person ever who faced temptation and didn't give in. But because he was fully man and fully God, he knows how you're feeling. Do you think, does Jesus really know what it's like to be me? Well, no and yes. I mean, does he, he know the challenges you face, face on social media? No. But he does know what it's like to feel isolated by friends. Does he know what it's like to be uh, bullied in the office? Well, n- no. But he does know what it's like to be betrayed by people. Does he know what it's like to to hold down two jobs and feed a family? No, but he knows the stress so much so that he sweat blood 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. You see, of course, when we say that Jesus knows how you feel, we're not saying he knows what it means to live a 21st century life. Uh, we're saying he knows what it means to be a person, to be a human. All the emotions that you go through, he goes through. Because Jesus is not like a, a Star Wars figure in a galaxy far, far away that sort of you know, dives in a spaceship and disappears off again. God knows what it's like to be you. He entered our world, not simply to have empathy, but to act, to do something about it. So as we close, what, what does this mean? Well, what I want to do this morning is not to say, you've got to do anything. You don't, because you're in the plane. You're united to Christ. All I want to say is that actually that we look to Jesus, and as we share uh, bread and wine later, we look to Jesus, we say we will remember. We remember the one who came to this earth, uh, who destroyed death forever, uh, who fully dealt with the whole of God's anger. And this morning, he knows how you're feeling, but he's with you. He says, I am with you. Never will I leave or forsake you. Today, tomorrow, And in fact, because of this, I will bring you home. Why? Because you're united to me. I've really lived. I've really died. I've shared my glory. I've given you my record. So death is destroyed. And sin has been done away with. So what this morning? Just enjoy your God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good. And when we say good, we mean amazing. Father, thank you that you stepped into our world, that you did what we could not. You became our representative that you will bring us home, that even death will not separate us from your love. Father, we pray that you may just remind us of that this week and lift up our heads to you. In Jesus' name, amen.